Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empowering a community through the mission in their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast series on New Beginnings. In this series, we are featuring stories of women who have been able to grow through those scary new beginnings to share the hope that floats up from the middle, which is what really counts. I'm excited to amplify for you today, Liz Garden. Liz is the principal of Dr. Leroy E. Mayo Elementary School in Holden, Massachusetts. She blogs regularly at musingstomotivate.blogspot.com. She is one of the co-founders of the Moms' Principal Group, which hails the mantra, All Kids Are Our Kids. When she is not trying to be an instructional leader and mold future minds, Liz is dealing with her reading addiction, listening to her musician husband sing, becoming a foster mom, and chasing around her own wild child, Emerson. In today's episode, Liz shares her experiences in becoming a new foster mom, a principal in a new building, and she also opens up about the challenging season of her life when she struggled through the experience of a divorce, but how that chapter led to new beginnings in both her professional and personal life. Liz's story teaches us how we, too, can choose not to be reduced by circumstances, but rise strong into new beginnings with hope that our calling might lie on the other side of a journey to find our true selves again, even if that means hawking some jewelry and adventuring on a memorable road trip across the country with our mama. It is with joy that I share with you Liz Garden's New Beginnings. Welcome, Liz, to the In Awe podcast. I'm so excited to feature your story today. I have been connected over Twitter for a while, but I'm on, honestly just thrilled to hear the details of your story. And we have you featured in the New Beginnings series, which is a fresh one for the month of January. So thank you so much for taking time out. And would you want to share, Liz, with the listeners just a little bit about your current context? So I'm excited to be here. And I definitely went back and listened to several of your podcasts that you've already recorded. My buddy, Jessica Gabine, loved to hear her story. Um, so I am currently a principal of a K-5 elementary school in in Massachusetts. Um, it's my first year in the school. I made a big change. Um, I was in my last district for seven years. Wanted to be closer to home. I was doing quite a commute. And so I switched to a brand new school district, brand new job. That's one new beginning this year. I walked into a situation where um, the previous principal had been escorted out of the building in January and they finished the year without a principal. They had kind of some fill-in people. So pairing some PTSD with staff, but I love that. That's kind of what I love to do is come in and, and really help people get to a better place. That's what I've been doing for work. And then at the same time in my home life, when I was leaving my last district, I had a situation with a family where DCF approached me about, you know, possibly being um, a kinship care and taking in one of the, at least one one of the children in foster care. And so my husband and I talked and said, okay, we want to do this. Um, and she was, she was a six-year-old and we were going to bring her into our home. We had kind of had, had all the plans ready to go. And then at the last minute, one of my other teachers was actually able to take the older sibling and, and could take the younger one as well, which we couldn't do. So I, I felt better about her going with her sister. So we, you know, that didn't happen. But then we talked and said, well, what if we, pursue foster care for us just um, because we really feel like it's something we should do. And so we started to take the courses and um, it's a long process um, of night classes and learning how to be a parent, which is kind of funny, um, (laughs) uh, taking a class on that. But um, 
and we just finished right before Thanksgiving and we just had a, a four-year-old placed with us. So we've had a month of uh, being foster parents uh, <laughs> along with being <laughs> parents to another four-year-old. So that's been a um, definite learning curve for both my husband and I, a welcome stress that, um, you know, to know that we're helping this child who hopefully he will be reunited with his family. Um, but for now we can give him a home love on him and, and he's a cutie. <laughs> Liz, there's just, oh, there's so much there that you were talking about. And I love the fact that you're on this new beginnings segment and you're starting us out because of class, anything new that stuck with you a little bit or just reaffirm that the listeners might learn from? A lot of it was just dealing with students, um, kids with trauma and yeah. in the work that we do. Um, you know, for me, I think the biggest learning was that my husband, you know, this is, he's a musician and, and we really at home, I try not to talk work at home much. Um, and so going through this class with him, you know, he would come home and process after each class and say like, wow, I can't even believe, you know, that these kids are going through this. And I said, do you know what I do every day? Um, and so that was really an eye opener that we had conversations um, about what I've experienced at work. And, you know, I really try to kind of compartmentalize that and keep that at work and not bring it home. A big reality check was for us to have that conversation together about, you know, yeah, there's a lot of kids that are um, coming to school every day and dealing with so much that, you know, we expect them to learn when they've just got so many other things that they're worrying about um, that, you know, so I think not necessarily that I learned something new from that, but that just having that conversation with my husband and really opening his eyes to it because I kind of had um, shielded him from that with my job for a long time. And um, just for our sanity, I think <laughs> that and we're, we're two ships in the night. We really don't see each other much because <laughs> I work during the day and he works at night. So, um, you know, having those conversations was actually, uh, I really liked having those with him um, to kind of start talking about the reality of the job. Well, and I think those of us that have that experience and the reality of the job, you're just, you're living it, it, you learn, and it's great. I love that you're taking a class. It's just really neat. And I bet it's reaffirming for a lot of the things that you're doing, but I love that you're sharing how your, you know, your co-parenting partner is learning. And with the trauma-informed practices, one of the things that we know is that there's compassion fatigue with those of us that work with families and with students. Um with significant challenges from their trauma. And so it's got to be kind of fresh to see it through the eyes of your husband. I'm not saying you have compassion fatigue, but it's easy to see how that can happen with practitioners. Oh, yeah. So really neat that the program is vetted that way. And, um, you know, a really solid example of what our listeners can take away, whether you're in education or not. And I think since you referenced Kabine, I mean, she talked about <laughs> how parenting uh, a student or a child with trauma is very different you know, coming home um, to yeah. one is different than having one, having pouring into them at school. That was definitely, I mean, for me, a big eye opener, um, you know, when we got uh, this child to our, in our home, one, I think the first night I, it was very surreal to me because to have a four-year-old just brought to your doorstep on a Friday night um, with a, you know, he had a giant duffel bag. He had, he had, when he was removed from where he had been staying, he had, he had only put the clothes on his back, you know, so they had gotten him some clothes and um, a few toys. And here's this little guy just coming into our house. And I said to my husband, I can't even imagine, can you imagine our Emerson just being put in a stranger's home? You know, so that was a, that was a tough night for me just 
um, to hold it together, looking at him thinking this poor kid, I mean, you know, he's just been put in our house and, you know, I know who we are, but he doesn't know who we are. Um, and then the first week was really hard because, um, you know, he would cry out at night for his mom and they teach you how you really can't, you know, you can't say like, you'll see her soon or it'll be okay. You, you can't say any of that, but how do you do that to a four-year-old? How do you comfort a four-year-old in the middle of the night? Um, so that was a big process for me to get through that first week. He got better and now he sleeps through the night and, and, you know, he says he loves us and, and, um, he calls, he calls me, uh, Miss Wiz. <laughs> oh. He has a little bit of a speech delay, but he'll call me Miss Wiz and Mr. Dave. And, you know, he's, like part of our family now, but, um, those, that first week was, was really tough of, and just for me, especially having my own four-year-old to kind of see it, it's a very bizarre situation to have the same age, you know, but my biological child and this child who I'm taking care of for someone else, um, right next to each other is, it was, it was interesting. You mentioned too, that this child came right at the crux of the holiday season, which is yeah. lunch for a lot of people and given all the circumstances. So kudos to you and your husband for just really pulling your sleeves up and and doing what you say you know um, yeah. the actions that you're taking are amazing and I think it might be appropriate to mention your role here in the moms as principals I just think this takes it to a whole new level <laughs> yeah it definitely does you know the all kids are our kids I am living it <laughs> when when we kind of came up with that motto a couple years ago I feel that I believe it I live it you know I think about um, even before I had my own child people would say do you have kids and I say yeah I have like 500 and some um, because I really do feel that they are all our kids. You, you can't lead a school if you, you don't have that thought process, I think. I'm living it. <laughs> now, it's definitely a philosophy of leading with heart and it's really beautiful to kind of see that unfold over the years. I know that Moms as Principals is something that for me, I connected with because I needed to know that people out there understood not only how I felt, but how beautiful and um, hard that can be too. Um, thank you for building that community and sustaining it for so many of us out there that can relate to that. So I want to get to a little bit more of your story, Liz, too, mm -hmm. when we talk about new beginnings. Uh, going back to something you said, you've talked about the new beginnings with your personal life, but in your professional life, you left a learning community after seven years, which is challenging because you build those relationships and you mentioned that you came into a situation that was a challenge culturally, not only because the person had to leave, which creates, you know, levels of distrust in a, in a mm -hmm. culture. But you referenced that the teachers had PTSD and you, <clears throat> you kind of like doing that. It sounds like you have a caring kind of soul. So what are the things, some of the things that you do to build trust in that new beginning? I said, I feel like I'm like the character actor um, because I've been in three different, as a, lead, as a leader, I've been in three different school districts and each one I've come into, for whatever reason, the person before that I've replaced has... Um, maybe been a little bit of a different type of a leader than me. Each time I've come in and I've known that the first thing I have to do is build everyone's trust. And so for me, um, I do a couple things. One, my message is always that I am, I don't, like to consider myself a leader or a boss or, a, you know, the person in charge. And I say that to people and I say that to kids too. They'll say, oh, you're the boss of school. And I was like, oh, I, I'm not the boss. I said, you know, if I had to run the school by myself, we'd be in big trouble. You know, I said, <laughs> it's, it's all of us, you know, we're all running the school together. Um, so I really start with that message. And this summer, I, when I came to this new school, one, I, I actually kind of started even last year before I had left my um, previous district, I had planned a couple days to come and, and 
even um, be in the school. Um, we had to hire a new teacher, for example. So I um, came to be part of that process. And then over the summer, I reached out to everyone and said, you know, I want to have um, – a one-on-one -on -one with every single staff member, um, but I know that you know summer is your time. So if you want to come in the summer, you can. If not, we'll schedule it. You know, once everyone's back to school. And so people started scheduling the meetings with me, and um, you know I, we would sit down, and they would kind of say like, "Okay, what do you want to talk about?" And I said, "There's no agenda. There's no agenda in this meeting. This is I want to get to know you. Um, you could tell me about something with work or school, or you could tell me about you know your kids, or you could tell me about the vacation you just took, or you could ask me questions." And so that kind of took people by surprise, but they appreciated it because you know I had people open up about all kinds of stories and situations. Um, and I said, you know, this is just between you and I, and this is not me being your evaluator or being, or kind of, this is just me getting to know you so that we could, um, you know, have a better start to the year. Before school started, I had met with probably three-fourths of the staff. Once school started, I kept with my promise and I scheduled all the rest, you know, so that you know, I worked around their schedules. And um, so that was one thing. I think the other piece that I did was fun and energy. And, I, you know, I came in over the weekend and decorated the room where we were going to meet. And I bought everyone the book, um, Pia's for Pirate, the inspirational book um, from Dave Burgess and Shelley Burgess. And I did a couple different other, you know, a little, I gave them like a, um, what did I call it? I had like a goodie bag. I said we were going to go on an adventure together. And I, that was kind of the theme for the day was that, you know, get ready for an adventure. People came up to me and they said, I just called my husband. And I was like, oh, oh, why? Is something wrong? And they said, well, no, I just called to tell him I'm so excited to be here at work. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. Um, they're like, I've never done that before, you know, or I ordered them pizza. You know, I went to the local pizza restaurant and I said, hey, I'm the new principal. You know, will you help? me out here. And so they donated a bunch of the pizzas. I bought some salads. I said, you know, lunch is on me. So you don't have to worry about planning lunch. And they said, no, no one's ever done that for us. You know, like, <laughs> you mean, what do you mean? And I said, well, it's just lunch. It's just pizza. We did a scavenger hunt around the school. You know, you never know when you try to plan something fun like that. Like, are they going to buy into this? Are they going to go for it? They, I had a, you know, seven month pregnant woman running through the school <laughs> looking for things. You know, one of the stations was in the library. Um, I'm a huge, reading is my favorite thing in the whole world. So I had um, a treasure chest, my daughter's toy treasure chest I brought in and I filled it with books professional development books. And so I said, you know, the clue was like to go find the library and, and, you know, find the treasure chest and, you know, take a book that you want from there. And so they all did that. And at the end of the scavenger hunt, they came up to me and they said, well, here's the book back. And I said, no, no, this is like, this is for you to have. And they said, what do you mean? I think they saw pretty quickly how I am as a person and as a leader where, you know, I'm going to be giving them things. I'm going to be encouraging them. I want it to be fun. You know, I want them to want to come back to work. And they, they all said, you know, that was the best start of the year we've ever had. Got on the bus and rode the bus into school with kids. And we we set off confetti cannons to launch the school year. We, that's how we did a countdown like New Year's Eve and, and all these different things. And people... I think looked at me a little bit crazy, but then they realize, okay, you know, she, she gets it that, you know, um, we all have a hard job to do, but let's, let's enjoy it while we're here. <laughs> um, 
So those are just some things that I've done. <laughs> I've done more, but that's that was how I started the year. Sure. It's a really great message too. Like you said, you know, we do hard things. We can have fun while we do it. And I love how you spend intentional time to build that relationship, you know, bank account up because now when you're in the middle of uh, the hard times in March, that yep. kind of stuff, you, you has pays dividends. It, well, it was perfect. I, you know, I had a, teach, a conversation with a second grade teacher just the other day before break. And, um, you know, I went into her room and we were just chatting and she said, you know, I feel like, um, and she's older than me, um, you know, and she's been teaching there for a while. And she said, you know, I feel like um, you're like our mom or dad. <laughs> I said, what does that mean? And she's like, I want to impress you. I want to do, I want to please you. I want to do whatever you want me to do. Um, I said, well, okay. But, you know, she's like, you've, you've created that here. You know, people want, they will do anything for you now. Um and she's like, I've never seen that happen where, you know, in that short of a time. And I said, well, gl- uh, good. I want you to keep doing great things for kids. Then, so keep doing it. <laughs> well, that's so cool to hear. And I'm glad you're being affirmed. You know, when I look at leadership, one of the things that I've considered is this taking charge versus taking care. Mm. And it's really hard to take charge when we haven't taken care. And mm. it sounds like you have that skill really well honed is making sure that you're taking care of your people so that when it comes time, that taking charge is viewed well by you. You know, as female leaders, we can struggle sometimes if our dominant role is that take charge behavior because it's seen uh, negatively typically in females. Yeah. Um, so really proud of you and excited to hear more about your journey as it continues to unfold. It sounds like the staff is really lucky to have you. Thanks. Well, Liz, I know about some things in your personal life that I think would really inspire the listeners because it sounds like you're on the other end of a lot of new beginnings. And it seems to me like for people listening that say, oh, she's got it all together, you know, she's got got fostering, she's rocking this thing. You have had to really come through some challenging times, both in a marriage and struggling with building a family. Would you like to share with the listeners a little bit about that? Sure. And I'm laughing when you say you have it all together because if you could, it's a good thing podcast, there's no video involved because if you could see, I'm literally sitting in my minivan in my driveway because it would be crazy to try to do this in my house right now. I actually, uh, so I'm not from Massachusetts, even though I've lived here now, I moved here in 2000 and um, I'm from Virginia. And when I was living in Virginia Beach, um, that's where my family is and where I grew up for part of my time. Um, I had met someone who was vacationing down there and um, I fell in love and I, you know, I was a teacher and I said, well, I can go anywhere. So I moved here to Massachusetts to be with him. Um, We were together for a while and um, uh, he was not faithful during our um, dating period, but I think I was young and um, thought, like people could change in that way. And, yeah. and he did. And then, um, I en- ended up marrying him. Um, and we had kind of the fairy tale Cape Cod wedding, um, which paid for though by ourselves, you know, um, I'm, I come from a family, a large family and, and he came from a large family and, you know, my parents always said, you know, we'll pay for your education. Um, <laughs> you can take, take care of the rest, you know? So we, we had this, you know, big elaborate wedding, and we were married. Um, I need to think now, I lived a very different life. Um, he was sort of all about kind of the image and, um, you know, spending money and, and experiencing like, 
extravagant things. We were married for a short time. I actually had a chance to go and be um, to tour the school systems in Japan. <laughs> it's a whole other story. But so I went away for a month um, mm-hmm. to Japan and um, came back. And, you know, I noticed like we had only been married just two years, a definite change. And I started to, you know, have some doubts and, and think that he had been unfaithful, uh, but he wouldn't admit to it. And I, at the time I was teaching and I can remember finally, um, you know, there were, there were nights where, um, I would, I slept in my car um, and would go into work and my colleagues, I was a second grade teacher, you know, finally one day they cornered me and they said, what is wrong with you? You know, you're, you've become a different person. And I broke down, you know, they're like, are you sick? Is something wrong? Like, do you have cancer? They were thinking this awful. And I said, no, you know, um, I said, my marriage is falling apart. That was kind of the reality of, oh my gosh, like, you know, this is affecting me and people are noticing it. And I was embarrassed, you know, that was more than anything. I was embarrassed that, you know, I had had this perfect wedding, this perfect marriage, but it wasn't perfect at all. And I was trying to keep that hidden from everybody. Um, So, you know, thankfully I had some really great friends up here. Um, and I, I kind of went home for a little bit to Virginia, to my family and said, you know, here's what's going on. Um, because we had kind of hidden it from both our families. I said, you know, I'm going to leave them. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to get a divorce. Like I, I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, and when I went and met with him to tell him that, you know, I think he was shocked. I think he thought I would just kind of do like I'd done in the past and, you know, forgive him and move on and just keep going through the motions of the marriage. But I said, no, I can't do this. Um, so I filed for divorce. I, um, bank account. I got a new apartment. I, I did some things like, you know, I, I had to cash in my, um, Oh, I had worked at a private school. So I had like a, whatever you should never cash in. I did that <laughs> just so that I could, um, my sister's a financial planner. So she still tells me like, that was a stupid move. Start over. And I had kind of gotten used to a different lifestyle where, I mean, we didn't have savings. Like he, you know, just spent money. And at the time though, I was also going to school to become people around me had told me like, you should be a school leader. And I was like, what? No, I can't do that. Um, But I knew also I'd had some not so great school leaders and I thought somebody can do a better job than this. And so I had gone and gotten my um, educational leadership degree thinking down the road, you know, maybe someday that's what I'll do. But at the, you know, kind of the perfect storm happened. And here I was um, divorced um, by myself, not really able to take care of myself. um, But I didn't want to move back. You know, my family was like, come back home. And I said, no, I'm established here. I don't want to do that. You know, I'm my mother that summer. We drove cross country together. She's like, let's do a road trip. (laughs) Um, I I took my... um, my my wedding rings and cashed them in <laughs> and I drove we drove cross country we did like in 26 days we did like I don't know something crazy like 30 or so states um had an amazing summer trip while I was out we were in Santa Fe New Mexico I did a phone interview I had randomly before I left applied for an assistant principal job and, you know, I had no experience being an administrator, but I said, well, I'll just apply for this and see what happens. They interviewed me on the phone 
And then the next day we drove to the Grand Canyon and they called and said, we want to hire you. <laughs> and I said, are you crazy? Um, <laughs> and I said, well, okay, but you know, I'm in Arizona right now and I won't be home for a month. And they said, that's okay. Started a new job as an assistant principal <laughs> of an early childhood center. Kind of had a whole new fresh start that, that year. Um, and, you know, went back to my maiden name and, and then I guess I haven't looked back since. <laughs> Incredible is because as I was listening to this and thinking what would really resonate and what a challenging chapter, but really gorgeous to see how it all kind of came together in a time to reset. And I love a couple of things about that is that your colleagues noticed. And I think, yeah. As listeners, we should really be paying attention to that because I think it's easy to kind of watch people deteriorate around us, but we're really good. I think educators are really good at covering it up because we're not so great at self-care. So we tend yep. to, um, you know, let ourselves deplete and then we, we can cover it up really well. And so it was really cool to hear that you had some connections and that people were willing to look around. I think that's something we should take note of. Yeah, I, I think I agree. And I, I feel like as a leader now, you know, I'm always saying to people or to, you know, when I mentor other leaders and I just say, you know, we're all humans and we're all going through lots of stuff <laughs> and things, you know, bad things happen in our life, good things happen in our life. And we really need to recognize that always and remember that, you know, you know, you could have a teacher who's having a bad day, but you don't know what happened at home that morning or what's on their mind. Um, because I know I was that teacher where I was a good teacher, you know, but I was falling apart and it was showing at work. Um, and so you have to always remember that to really check in on each other. Well, right, because we always say there's an antecedent for children's behavior, but we might not always consider that in the adults. So that's really good. And then the other thing I love, too, is that you're on a road trip with your mom. That is <laughs> what a really cool restorative chapter after you took some time owning your story and being willing to be brave enough to say this is not going to be my life. I would love to watch the movie of your life, Liz. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, I keep saying that I'm going to write, I, I have this book in mind of the trip that my mom and I took because, um, and I, I actually started trying to write it. I still, I, I need to do it. I was just thinking about this the other day because it was, um, it was a, it was pretty amazing. And the fact that, you know, I remember when we decided we were going to do it and my sister, I have a, I have one sister and two brothers and my sister is, um, four years younger than me and we're completely opposite, but I love her. But she said, you're going to get in a car with our mother for a month. <laughs> She's like, I would kill her. <laughs> and I said, I know you would. Um, so, you know, the fact that I have that memory with my mom now, um, and I said, it, it will happen at some point because the story is definitely going to be called, I can't drive without my lipstick because that's my mother. Like she, you know, every time we'd get up in the morning to drive and be like, who's going to start the shift? And she's like, well, I got to put my lipstick on first. <laughs> I said, mom, mom, we're driving through Utah. Like, I don't think you need lipstick, but, um, <laughs> but there were just so many great, um, experiences and laughs that happened and, and we had time together, you know? Um, and it was, it was definitely a healing process for me to kind of, um, sort of, I started the trip in one place and ended it in a different place. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that I did that. Women have this incredible capacity to lift one another. And it sounds like that season for you was exceptional because you went in a teacher, um, going through this traumatic divorce with this therapeutic, beautiful experience with your mom who, you know, put her life on hold to 
experienced it with you as well. And you come out this assistant principal with a new beginning, which is just incredible. It's an amazing story. When we consider this new beginning thing, um, do you want to tell a little bit about how you met your husband? Is it a lovely whirlwind story? Oh, sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My friends were encouraging me to date and I thought, oh God, I, you know, I haven't dated since in a decade. I don't know what that even looks like. So at the time they had gotten me to sign up for match.com and um, I had gone on a couple of dates and, you know, I was clueless. And in fact, I thought, people lie on this, you know, and it was like, it never even dawned on me that people would make up profiles. So I had finally said, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and I, I had had one date left that was scheduled and I was working at the loft in the summer to make up some extra money. That night I was supposed to go to dinner, um, with this random date. And so he called and left a message and said, you know, I got tickets to the Red Sox and I thought, yay. And he's like, I'm taking someone else. (laughs) And I thought, okay. Um, and so I said, you know what, I'm taking myself out. Um, so I went out to dinner and I was at a restaurant, um, down the street from where I lived and there was a band playing. I had been at this restaurant a month before. I had a card from his band, I guess, in my wallet that when I was at the restaurant with a friend a month before, it had been put in front of me with like the date of the next performance. And I had just blindly kind of put it in my wallet. And so um, I remember that, you know, I had been there before and there was a different band playing. Anyway, so I was eating dinner and the band was playing and, you know, I thought, oh, that singer is kind of cute and he's got a great voice. Um, and at his break, he came over and not so casually sat down next to me and we just started talking and, and he's like, you know, do you come here often? I was like, uh, this is only the second time I've been here. (laughs) You know, we just talked for a little bit. I stayed through the whole performance. And even though I thought maybe he'll come back up and talk to me again, he didn't. (laughs) Um, so I left and this is where he'll say, I came out you know, in the parking lot, but you had left. I said, I don't know about that. Um, but, uh, I went the next day and, and I went and looked up the band. He had a Facebook page and I just wrote him a message and said, you know, you guys were sounded great. I really enjoyed hearing you play. I'll have to come hear you again. And he messaged me back and said, you know, how about we have lunch together? <laughs> and, um, you know, we went to lunch and then we went to bowling and then we went to, you know, and then we just started dating. Um, and, I, it was after we had started dating that, that I discovered the card in my wallet and realized that, you know, oh my gosh, you know, you had written this date on the back and not knowing it, I had picked it up. And then, um, you know, that night just happened the way it did. <laughs> then I ended up at that restaurant again. One of our anniversaries, he went to the, the manager of the new restaurant and said, you know, can I have this sign um, with the name of the restaurant? Um, this is where I met my wife. And so for one anniversary, I came home and we had this giant sign in our backyard from the restaurant where we met. That is so, so awesome. Well, and listeners of my podcast know that I, you know, I believe in signs. I don't believe in coincidences. So it's just your story is making me smile. Because yeah. This really incredible timeline. You really have some cool examples of how that was placed and the timing of your lives were placed pretty strategically. So that's awesome to hear. You have had this really incredible journey to the point where you are now. And so I would like to hear, and I think the listeners would benefit, is to know that if you could write a letter to your former self at any Mm. age or stage, what would you say? Be you, be you, always be you. Um, You know, I think back in kind of my my life in like two parts, you know, when I was married before, um, I became a different person for 
that person. And, um, you know, I didn't like the person I became. So I think that, you know, I would tell myself, you know, just be you. And now um, it's funny when I've gone for different things, you know, when I was looking to move to a new school district and I went into an interview and for the interview, my husband had said, cause I have, um, I have a little bit of, uh, pink in my hair in honor of, I have some, uh, history of, um, breast cancer in my family. And so I kind of have that little visual image always. And he's like, are you going to cover up your pink hair? And I said, why? <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, I don't know, like, what are they going to think? And I said, well, I don't care what they think, you know, like, this is who I am. Pink hair does not make me a certain type of leader. <laughs> um, and if they don't like the pink hair, well, then they don't like me. And so I say that to my staff now, too. I say, um, this is who you get. You know, this is me. And um, I'm going to always be honest and I'm going to be myself and I want you to be yourself too. And I think that would be the advice I would give my younger self is just to always just be you. Beautiful. And I'll share with you at another time why that message is something I needed to hear right now too. It resonated really deeply with me. So it's awesome. All right, Liz. Well, that is about all the time we have for the in podcast. And I just wanted to thank you for really giving an awe-inspiring interview. And I'd love to have you on the show again because there's so much that we weren't able to uncover <laughs> other series. <laughs> yes, I've got a lot to share, I guess. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you. And thanks for doing this podcast. I think it's so important that um, as women, that we are lifting each other up and telling our stories and listening to each other's stories. Um, I know I have, I am grateful for the women that I have in my life um, and that keep me going and that I get to help keep motivating them. So thank you for doing this. Oh. You're welcome, and thank you for giving me a story to amplify. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the In Awe podcast. We rise by lifting others, so please consider amplifying this story by subscribing to the In Awe podcast and by rating and sharing this episode so masses can be in awe of our guest.